Ambassador, it is my honor to welcome you aboard the USS Enterprise. Other Klingons call him the Butcher of Jagal. The Federation believes that everyone deserves a second chance. No, he's pretending. Sometimes you pretend something long enough, it becomes the truth. War doesn't leave you. It can bury itself, but it's always there. All of us have to remember what we love most. We fight for them. But if we don't fight, we don't win. Transfer complete. Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and joining me on the bridge... This is Tyler Orton, feeling more virile than he looks. (laughs) And we're here this week to talk about Episode 8 of Season 2, Strange New Worlds, Under the Cloak of War. Tyler, so far I think Strange New Worlds has uh, really been on fire with its very lighthearted comedic episodes. What did you think of this one? (laughs) Great follow-up to uh, charades and uh, those old scientists. Am I right? Kind of weird, right? Tonal whiplash. Tonal whiplash, but I'm kind of used to that watching, uh, you know, TNG, Deep Space Nine, Voyager over the years here. And, um, okay, we usually start off with our broader (laughs) thoughts, right? But I can't Mm. get into what I really think about this episode without, like, kind of zeroing in on... Uh, something very problematic going on here in which uh, decisions on the writer's part. Uh, so I, I'll leave it to mm. you, and then I'm just going to go uh, head first into my, my very narrow um, issue, that problematic uh, issues that I have with this episode. Okay, uh, fair enough. This was one, I guess I... Uh, sometimes when Star Trek does like a very kind of like serious, kind of dark episode, I think of like In the Pale Moonlight... I find it like gripping and just something where I'm on the edge of my seat throughout and totally absorbed in the journey of the characters. This was one where I could appreciate things it was doing. I think there was some really strong performances. I found myself kind of held at arm's length by it where I, I kind of appreciate the ambiguity it has going for it. I think there's some very interesting material dealing with the Klingon war, a war that was given very little weight in the series at which it was introduced. Like Strange New Worlds, the like lighthearted somewhat uh, Star Trek show is doing more work to give actual presence and like lingering, like a lingering sense of impact to the Klingon war, whereas like Discovery didn't at all. So like I can kind of appreciate the way they are kind of like trying to work with that established canon from their you know previous show, the show that set up what this show is. Um, I think there's like a lot of, I think, elements of this episode to talk about. I, I'm kind of like on the fence about it in that I, it's not an episode you'd ever say you enjoyed particularly. It was one I thought had interesting and somewhat provocative elements, but I honestly don't quite 100% know where I sit with it because it just didn't pull me in the way that some of the more intense Star Trek episodes of yesterday did. For example, something like Chain of Command Part 2. I am riveted for an hour straight. I didn't feel that way with this one. Okay, so here we've got all the shipboard scenes uh, just filled with this really interesting tension. I thought it was very effective what Mm. they were doing, everything on the ship. 
whenever we go back to uh, the the planet uh, Jigal, yeah, uh, watching kind of the, the horrors of war and all of that stuff, I, I know what they're going for, but it kind of saps the tension that had been building up throughout. You know, the, the say the awkward dinner scene, the hand to hand combat scene, um, Ortegas on the bridge. Uh, mouthing off, uh, not knowing that uh, Ambassador Roz right behind her, uh, played by one uh, Robert Wisdom, uh, you know, uh, one of my favorite characters from The Wire, uh, Major Bunny Colvin. Uh, uh, I, what did you think of Robert Wisdom as a Klingon? I thought the character he was going for, he he was absolutely perfect. But um, yeah, are, were you familiar with Robert Wisdom before this? I looked up his IMDb because I haven't seen The Wire, obviously, and I've definitely seen him in a few things here and there, but nothing that like leaps to the forefront of my memory is like oh of course i thought he was honestly like really 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 good in this episode and i appreciate that they are doing a lot you know we were talking fairly recently about the way that like strange new worlds is giving us a kind of a diverse um, representation of vulcans different personalities like a sense that it's not this kind of like <laughs> standard out of a mold uh, Vulcan that you would see in some of the other Star Trek shows where they feel very samey. And I appreciated that this character, while a Klingon, felt a different type of Klingon than we typically see. A lot of the shows where you have like, especially like a war kind of story, a lot of the Klingons would have that kind of Klingon warrior mold. I thought this character had a lot more complexity and I was really interested in the journey of that character. And I did think the performance... I don't know how this episode will hold up in the like long-term legacy of the Star Trek franchise, but I think this is a performance people can look back on as a very interesting Klingon take. Okay. So I kind of was like showcasing like what, what I thought worked and I, what I thought didn't work, but I, I want to zero in on the you know climax of the episode, the, the struggle, the physical struggle between Mabenga and Rock here mm. i i had to go when we got to the end credits i had to go back and i had to rewatch that sequence uh i i was mm -hmm. kind of confused about what had taken place there i had walked away initially thinking like oh yeah you know uh we had commando crusher in picard season three now we've <laughs> got uh military mabenga here um i i know I'll, I'll dive into it a little later but the, the whole like um secret commando slash medical doctor yeah storyline i i think it's pretty silly and like it kind of <laughs> i think it hurts the character doesn't make him more interesting it, it makes me like like the character less but um so i initially walked away from this thinking that mabenga had essentially killed Ra in cold blood right you know i, I go back and i rewatch and you know it was pike I, I thought you know pike had a really great moment at the very end of the sick bay where he's just like look if maybe something happened, you just got to tell me, you know? And I was just like, okay, mm -hmm. cool. And for a split second, I was like, I thought they were going to do something really interesting. And I was like, oh, this is how they kind of like write Mavenga out of the show for now, you know, and we bring in McCoy, you know, because we obviously will have, you know, the doctor admitting that he murdered an ambassador and got to go back for rehabilitation. But then I realized, then I realized that, uh, you got Mabenga coming back for the original series, serving aboard the ship. And so, like, I don't know how quickly it is to go from ambassador murderer to, um, I don't know, co-chief <laughs> medical officer. I have, It's still bizarre to me, like, Mabenga, like, is demoted by the time we get to the original series. But, um, so then that... To be fair, Worf has gotten away with a lot himself. <laughs> that is very true. Absolutely. Yeah. 
But then, like, that thought was taken away from me. And, and so then they didn't go there where I, where I thought they were going to. And as you said, like, uh, it was the ambiguity that you enjoyed here. I had to go back and rewatch mm-hmm. what happened. And so, okay. Mabenga opens up a crate featuring the, the Klingon knife, Ra. Mm-hmm. And what we, we, we see is, is Ra kind of tugs at him. I, I don't feel Mabenga's life was in any sort of danger. And then from Christine's point of view, through the opaque glass, you know, it, it's very clear that Mabenga says, get your hands off me. Mm-hmm. And you, there, there's a struggle and then the next thing you know um you know we see a knife through uh raw's heart i guess Cleons have two hearts but you know uh maybe maybe he lost his other heart in the war <laughs> the one that like counted that. yeah this yeah. was the that's the one they yeah hit so here's the issue cam is they're purposely keeping it ambiguous and i like ambiguity in my uh film and tv shows a lot of people struggle with ambiguity i like my ambiguity here but I, I don't like it here in watch the you ha- this is this is a hero character here in mm-hmm. Strange New Worlds, which is taking more kind of the old school values of Star Trek. Look, if this was if this is Picard, uh, you would have watched like seven of nine <laughs> take a hot poker through somebody's like eyeball and it would not have been ambiguous. Right. They would have just like held him down and beat him with that poker for an extended period of time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, if yeah. this is Discovery, <laughs> you would have been watching Saru take piano wire <laughs> to like, <laughs> to like, um, you know, that Orion leader, you know? So like, um, here they wanted to leave ambigu- uh, some ambiguity here. And, and why? Well, yeah. I, I will posit this. The creators want Mabenga to be a killer, mm-hmm. but at the same time, they can have plausible deniability. The creators, if questioned about this, they can be like, oh, no, you don't know what happened. You're just going to have to believe what what you will. You know, of course, a Star Trek hero would never murder somebody in cold blood. You know, uh, this is a case, like kind of a case of having your cake and, and, and eating it, too. Um, You know, like, did you for an instant think in, in the brief struggle that we witnessed that Mabenga's life was in danger because Ambassador Ra was kind of tugging at him? Like, do you, like, Mabenga had, like, confronted him about the cowardice and Mabenga's complicity in, in being the real butcher of Jigal, you know? And what what was going to happen? Did you interpret as Ambassador Ra was like, okay, well, now I must grab that knife and kill you, Mabenga, to keep this a secret? No, that is not at all what I interpreted. I was actually kind of, like, stunned when it cut from that moment of him, yeah, approaching... Mabenga, and then the chapel POV of like the glass of them like fighting. I was like, wait, what just happened? It was actually kind of jarring. And then cutting from that to her at the table with the knife, you know, presenting it to Pike, it really was a moment of like, what just happened? And when I finished the episode, I I did rewatch it as well. Okay. And I was like, okay, like I, 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 Definitely think they are kind of leaning towards Mabenga did kill him. Yeah. Uh, it would line up, I think, with where the character's going in this episode. But I, I do think they want a certain amount of discussion between fans about, like, what is that something that actually happened? I also think they want a little bit of In the Pale Moonlight um, going on. I think that episode was honestly an influence on this one, at least a little bit. It just seems like it was. It's pretty strong. It was interesting, though. I, I just looked at some reviews of the episode And among the various critics I just kind of scrolled through, I didn't read the extended reviews, but 
a lot of them had different interpretations. Some of them did say exactly what we said, that, you know, Mabenga had killed him and that Chapel at the end was complicit in this. And then others were a lot more vague and not quite sure what had happened and did not lean on that side necessarily. So I, I initially thought Chapel was complicit on my first viewing. Mm. And then when I rewatched it, I genuinely believe Chapel. She saw that there was a struggle, and her first thought is that Mabenga was defending her himself. I I mm. I believe she believes that with a hundred percent conviction. I don't think there's any ambiguity on her part, you know, but that's only after my mm. second viewing there. And I think you're right. <laughs> the writers do want to get some discussion going. Um, mission accomplished. <laughs> like, we're, we're doing that right now. Um, so like the way I have, like, okay. There are different ways to interpret things. My way, and I'm not saying this is, you know, the, the, the objective truth, but I, I generally, lean towards what I think the creators, uh, uh, film or a TV show, like what are they trying to deliver to audiences? Like I'm trying to interpret what it means to them. And mm -hmm. from what I gather from this is like the creators in their minds, M Mabenga did it, but they want to mm -hmm. leave, create that plausible deniability that you can have a Starfleet hero character not do it and they're kind of like no that's just maybe that's what you think but uh no 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 it's uh you know we'll leave it vague you know that's up to you if it, if you wish to believe that you know i believe wholeheartedly that i interpret it wholeheartedly that mabenga killed him and mm -hmm. that's where things get problematic for me as somebody who um uh, wasn't really a fan of um piano wire saru or um hot poker seven you know <laughs> like um <laughs> I, I, I just find this problematic for the character who um, I really haven't been enjoying his arc as, you know, Dr. Killer, like, this season, you know. Like, he's been set up as a very tormented character. Yeah. Because, you know, you look at season one, which had the daughter who was very ill and in the pattern buffer. I guess we got a little bit of an origin story in this episode for the pattern buffer technique of preserving yeah. very, uh, you know, injured or sick patients. Um. And so, like, that is a very, very, very heavy storyline in season one. Uh, we've said a billion times we were not thrilled with how it paid off, ultimately, um, with Deborah the Nebula. But, I mean, like, to give that to a character, that is a real, like, just weight on that character in season one. Season two, I think we were a little baffled with the, like, Jason Bourne Mabenga in the premiere. And uh, they had promised they would give us sort of the origin story of his uh, magic potion, well, here it is. And the fact that they have now established that like, he is someone who really went through the horrors of war. It, this was definitely alluded to in the premiere, but like, this really kind of solidified this sort of like... Um, is the episode Siege of AR-59? Is that what it's called, Tyler? No. <laughs> Cam. No? Nah, it's the Siege of AR-558. Got that, bro. Ah, yes, yes. But guys, well, why can't I make money for knowing this sort of useless information? <laughs> why can't my boss give me a raise for knowing this? That was the name of the gun in Alien, right? Isn't that like See, the, uh, I, why it was named that? I, I, I will lean on your expertise in that regard. Okay, don't quote me on that one. But, um, like, uh, they definitely wanted that kind of, like, real heaviness. And just the sense that, like... This character was fundamentally broken by this experience in a way that 
no one can really understand. And I wonder how much of this episode is they want us to kind of be in the, not so much in like the point of view of like a Mabenga, even though a lot of this episode does play out through him, so much as like the Pike or the Spock, the 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 people that look to people that have been through these absolutely unbelievable, horrific PTSD causing incidents and really just can't understand where they're coming from or the decisions they make by the end of this episode. And it's not as if I dis like, it's not as if I want to disregard legitimate, like things that happen to people that go to war and the PTSD Mm -hmm. that follows, but it is also the writer's decision to have a hero character um, manifest their trauma in what I I believe we're meant to interpret as murder, you know, or at least that's what mm-hmm. the creator's um, intention is. Now they leave it ambiguous. They leave it up to the audience to decide. I I, I will give them that. Uh, my walk my my walk away impression is that Mabenga did murder, and I don't know. It's just it it doesn't sit well with me, and. You know, you, you mentioned in the pale moonlight. There's no ambiguity there. You've got Ben Cisco mm. um, admitting his complicity, and you've got Ben Cisco firing uh, torpedoes into the atmosphere of a Maquis colony. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's no ambiguity there. They're not having their cake yeah. and eating it too. They're uh, they're eating it. They're eating cake. Um, whereas I don't know, but uh, you know, not. Do you think, okay, do you think this is a case of them having their cake and eating it too? Or do you think I'm kind of overblowing that to a certain degree? Not necessarily. I think to me, what is going to really impact how I view this episode is what they do with this character going forward. Because if like you tell me that like this, you know, this man who absolutely went through, you know, unbelievable situations during war, if they just kind of like resolve this story arc he's been on this season with this episode... And then we get a whole new type of character arc in season three. I'm like, wait, are they then implying that like him murdering this, you know, this raw character who had escaped just kind of like ended that story? I don't think that's great either. I think like they need to deal with the ramifications of what has happened and how this affects his character going forward. I don't have the most confidence that's going to happen in next week's episode, Tyler. (laughs) (laughs) Well... Yeah, we won't spoil anything, but yeah, I know what you're saying. No, no, um, yeah. Well, remember how they resolved uh, Detmer's PTSD in uh, season three of yeah. Discovery? You know, it's... Um, That's my concern. She she went through more trauma and it, it turned into a double negative. And so like, just expose, your, just expose yourself to more trauma and that will heal your trauma. And you look at like what Cisco went through in uh, in the pale moonlight, like the weight of that war was on that character throughout like the rest of the series like you got a character journey and him grappling with the weight of this war i'm just a little concerned that we're kind of going to wrap up this mabenga basically two episode arc and that's kind of that and i think the same could be said for chapel like there's a lot of very heavy material put on top of chapel in this episode as well that really didn't exist in a way that we knew of uh going off of the character from the original series and, like, is this going to be dealt with in the future? I hope so, because I think, like, just kind of cutting it off into this one confined episode, if he does murder him, as it seems he does, uh, and gets away with it, it seems so weird that that's kind of, like, the period at the end of that sentence. It's just like, well, and that was the end of that, moving onwards. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know. Look, th- this one, th- the fact that we're discussing this, I I think it's interesting. You know, like, uh, I, I'm not going to, this is very successful at getting conversation going. Ultimately, I don't like where we landed with this episode. I would say that I found the buildup to this controversial scene uh, very fascinating, uh, certainly on the shipboard stuff. You know, um, this is a this is a weird one. You know, it, it almost feels like neither fish nor fowl to a certain degree. I, like I can point to a lot of things that um, I understand what they're going for, than other things where I think they kind of took the uh, the coward's way out to a certain degree. I appreciate that this installment of like a serious Strange New World episode was much more involving and at least intellectually interesting than, say, the memory episode, which I think was probably the previous kind of serious episode of this show this season. I I suspect the finale of uh, season two will also be something of a serious episode, but this one, at least there was something to talk about. And I believe me, when I finished the memory episode and I looked at my notes and was like, well, now to podcast about this one, I did not have that response with uh, this episode. I was like, okay, I'm uncertain of my love of the storytelling for this one, but I can definitely appreciate, as Ensign Mount will call it, the swings. The swings? Yeah, because remember Ensign Mount at the conventions was saying, we're we're taking some major swings this season. Oh. And, uh, you know I what I mean? I thought you meant at like yeah. a playground. I was like, what? <laughs> What a fun, lighthearted episode. Yeah. yeah. yeah He's like, yeah. wee. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. Say, so, like, 20 minutes in, I think we've deconstructed that uh, scene uh, quite a bit. Um, you know, I, 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 okay, one thing that struck me so far this season, um, the act breaks haven't been as, like, weird and gnarly as they were in season one, where, you know, they're ending the acts in the middle of scenes. You know, the music would swell. Yeah. Then it would cut to black, and they'd immediately come back to the exact same moment with different music, and then the camera was then a different angle. And I'm like, yeah. what is this? I, I And they were not doing that in this episode here. They had proper act breaks. I want to know what was going through their brains when they were doing that in um, much of uh, Picard, as well as uh, season one of Strange New Worlds. Yeah, there was a. it wasn't every episode of Strange New Worlds season one, but it was a handful of them. Those scenes, though, didn't jump out to me on the 4K as much. So I wonder if that was just a streaming thing. I, I don't know. Did you notice it on the 4K discs? Yes. Oh, you did? Okay. Um. So, yeah, like, I just wonder if they got the memo. I'm not saying we had anything to do with it and our constant complaining and belly aching on the show about it. But they must have at some point looked at, an, you know, another TV show and been like, oh, oh, people don't do that. Oh, let's stop that then. <laughs> It's bad filmmaking. Like, I can't wrap my head around what was going through their brains. Yeah. Yeah. It was inexplicable. Okay. Yeah. Um, the awkward dinner scene um, did not quite match what we saw in the undiscovered country where uh, other Klingon <laughs> uh, uh, diplomats and uh, officials come aboard. Um, all I took away from that is uh, Pike must have the most unprofessional crew imaginable <laughs> in this entire fleet with, uh, you know, Ortegas, uh, Chapel, and Mabenka acting particularly strange. You know, I think a lot of them just like, come on, just don't go. Like, if you're going to be susceptible yeah. to that, just don't do it. I thought Ensign Mount was very good in this episode. Uh, I was praising his reactions in the previous episode, the Lower Decks crossover, uh, which were obviously more comedic. But I thought like a lot of this episode, Ensign Mount, the story's not about him, his character, but like there was a lot of moments where 
it was almost like kind of like fatherly reactions of like concern, but also like, I'm not going to jump in yet. Like, I don't want to like blow the situation up more than it already is. Uh, I thought he was very effective. And I thought like that entire scene, the, the, the dinner, um, incredibly effective. Um, the moment where Mabenga went to leave and Ra like grabbed his arm, I literally had like a moment of like, oh, yeah, <laughs> because yeah. like the tension was there. It was really working. Um, when, uh, number one leaned in to Pike and was like, Captain, and then he just made kind of that look and that motion, like, let, let's just, let, let, let it just play out. It made me think of Saru in season two, um, <laughs> when, uh, remember that, uh, when, uh, Culber confronted Ash Tyler yep. physically in a fight and Saru was like, we must let them fight. <laughs> it's just like, was uh, that Saru's most memorable moment? <laughs> No, but it was one of the weirdest Saru moments where they're going with that yeah. um, post. What's that? What's that uh, metamorphosis ritual that he went through? Called was it like something called like was it like Vrahai or something? Vorahai or something? Like Vorahai? Yeah, yeah, something along those lines. And he went through Vorahai, and um, I don't know his character in season three shot out darts <laughs> from his neck in the second episode. <laughs> what else is Vorahai? done for him uh it made him less fearful um perhaps it had a little bit of a motivator in the love story that happened in season four like maybe the saru of seasons one and two wouldn't have been able to have that relationship with his i don't know apprehension i I have no idea okay um i will point out uh, one of the things going against this dinner scene and it's through no fault Mm. uh the uh, creators of the show though but um just two days earlier i was watching season two of uh the bear yep and uh it's an incredible series um and they had a uh i don't want to say much about it but they did have like a uh a, a, an extended dinner sequence which had so much more tension um like mm. i was uh absolutely riveted and I wanted to look away at every single moment, but I couldn't. <laughs> and again, I don't want to spoil anything, but the um, pedigree of performers, uh, surprise mm. uh, appearances by um, top-level um, um, actors that I just would never have expected um, to appear in that scene. It just like, um, it is <laughs> the Bear Season 2 uh, 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 dinner sequences is one of the best scenes of television i've seen all year and so and then you follow it up two days later with this one which i still think it was good didn't quite get didn't get anywhere close to the bear and didn't quite match the undiscovered country either right um i mean i think this one i could only just compare against star trek 6 and that one is just such a showpiece but i i did just appreciate the individual performances in this one and i did like very like diplomatic uhura (laughs) trying to be very friendly consistently throughout the entire dinner and doing her best to kind of smooth over the tension yeah um i also appreciate that you know there was kind of that line uh that mabenga had kind of explaining you know kind of starfleet ideals he was just uh something along the lines of like you know we have to fight so that people we love have a chance to live in peace that's Starfleet. Mm. And, you know, I'm glad that uh, Mabenga's daughter now has a chance to live in a nebula. <laughs> That's what he was fighting for. Maybe hanging out with Deborah is like the greatest of futures like maybe that's what we all aspire to is to uh, surf the cosmos with De- uh, Deborah the nebula. I'm sure it's very peaceful in there. I-, I am a little 
I don't know if annoyed's the word, but like I am a little frustrated that there's been absolutely zero acknowledgement of his daughter the entire season. Mm. Like, not even like a tossed off line, not even like a story like where he says something like, oh, I remember, you know, when I was raising my daughter or something like that. Like just some acknowledgement that that character existed. If you were to check in starting with season two, you would have no idea any of that character's journey. Well, Cam, um, I, I, I'm not sure if you're aware of like all the influences on Strange New Worlds. Mm. I, I think they're really going back to, uh, you know, uh, Family Matters when uh, they got rid of the middle daughter and never spoke of her again <laughs> between uh, seasons, uh, I think, two and three. <laughs> um, you could also say that um, he's mourning his daughter's uh, loss the way that um, Kirk mourned Sam Kirk. <laughs> in True. the original series it's like yes. very sad in that one moment uh very emotional obviously when he says goodbye to his daughter and she goes off with deborah but um the next episode moving onwards yeah um something that annoyed me is uh we, we start the flashback with uh that line it says you know jagal a few years mm. ago <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, from our time <laughs> well yeah um this annoyed me profoundly uh, I, I tried to do some of the math with regards to like the timeline uh, that's been going on throughout this entire run here. Uh, of, yeah. uh, we, we've got, okay, the Cleon War ends at Discovery Season 1. Mm-hmm. And immediately it picks up with the 1701 meeting up with the Discovery crew. And that's when we find out, you know, most of uh, 1701 or 1701 had been away during the war. They weren't really participating in it. Right. So I'm trying to do like kind of the uh, like the, the, the timing here is a little weird. So I think they established that the Discovery crew was gone for eight months in the mirror universe, like uh, not in real time, but they had miscalculated coming back into the. Uh, prime universe and they ended up eight months in the future so the klingon war lasted about 14 months mm -hmm. and then i believe if, if we're being generous maybe the red angel mystery that took three months to resolve okay is that does that sound about right to you i can go with that yeah that that makes as much sense as anything yeah okay and so then um we've got the uh uh, I I guess like Enterprise was being fixed up for like let's be generous like one year, but I I honestly think it's closer to a six month gap between the end of Discovery season two and the start of Strange New World season one. So let's say fourteen plus three, uh, seventeen plus six months. Let, let's be honest, I think it's six months. So we're talking about like two years. From the start of the Klingon War to the start of Strange New Worlds Season 1, mm -hmm. let's say this is one year later, thereabouts. So I think that's that's fair, yeah. So the Klingon War is about three years ago. Does that, does that sound about right? That's a few, right? Yeah. <laughs> They'd well, said a couple. That's two. Uh, but yeah, like I guess they were trying... Why not just say three years ago? I wonder if they were like tap dancing around the star date thing, and then they decide to say a few years ago. Uh, I don't know. Like that was a weirdly non-specific way to phrase it. Um, I, I I don't know. I would I would love to hear like the writer's reason for that. It annoyed me. Yeah, that is all. 
Um, another thing that annoyed me, um, the pronunciation of Mabenga's name has been all over the place this season. Yes. Like, yes. I, I'm just like, what is going on, people? It's like, uh, it's sometimes Mbenga, then it's Mabenga. And, I'm, and I'm, it was a lot more consistently Mabenga last season. But now I'm finding more often people are saying Mbenga. And do you remember, like, in season four of uh, Discovery, like, Awashikin, like, suddenly uh, Sneeko Martin Green started, like, pronouncing Awashikin, like, with this really exaggerated accent on it. Mm-hmm. And she's suddenly saying, yep. Awashikun. And I'm like, what? Like, you're not in four seasons into a show. You suddenly start changing the name or the pronunciation of, like, uh, one of your bridge crew. And, and like, I was like, okay, I maybe it's just easier when they're calling her Owo or, you know, I, I don't know. But it, it's kind of like... Are are they getting feedback from people who are of like African descent, and I mean like you know uh, people that can comment on like names from that continent, and they're they're being coached a little bit about the the more accurate pronunciation. I, I'm not sure, but it is, and I, it's it's thrown me. That's all. Yeah, I mean the way they're pronouncing it, kind of like all over the place this season, is reminding me of myself in the season one coverage of Strange New Worlds when we were trying to figure that out, and um, yeah, it really threw me for a loop. I, I didn't mention it on the review of those old scientists, but it really jumped out to me in that one where I suddenly went, "Wait, what?" And I actually rewound at one point because I was like, "I thought we had it right now," and it seems like now they're doing it in the way that I thought I was incorrectly doing it in season one. I can't keep track anymore. It's kind of like the old like Leia or Leah thing from Star Wars, but they kind of cracked that one after the first movie. I don't know why in season two, it seems a little all over the place. Is it like, wasn't George Lucas like insistent that it was Leah, but everybody pronounced it Leia and he just had to give up? I think it was something along those lines. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Wow. And you also pick the best takes, right? For sometimes other reasons. And they just have to sometimes let a pronunciation slide. That was probably part of it as well. Well, it's interesting with um, the uh, reboot of Battlestar Galactica. If you listen to all of the uh, podcasts and commentaries from Ron Moore, he's always pronouncing Katie Sackhoff's character as Kara Thrace. Uh, she played Starbuck. Mm-hmm. And everybody on the show uh, is pronouncing it as Kara. And, but hmm. he's very adamantly calling her Kara throughout. So I think he just had to give up. I also think he had to realize that... Uh, <laughs> So much of the cast was like Canadian and um, yeah. Americans are more prone to saying ah and Canadians are more prone to saying ah. And right. I think just they're going to read it on uh, the page and the Canadian performers are going to say Kara, not Kara. Yeah. By, by uh, default anyway. It may be a case where like the writer had a very specific <laughs> intention and uh, at a certain point things just kind of evolved into what it became and i i would have to imagine like ron moore probably had a very good sense as to how he wanted that name to be pronounced initially had to give up on that dream yeah you pick your battles in uh collaborative mediums so what do you think about secret agent mabenga who uh does all the wet works um around tent city the very <laughs> cleverly named uh, uh base camp there the idea of this character that has this sort of like uh, black ops background is interesting. I mean, I guess like the thing is when you go in with a character like Mabenga, who only has two episodes from the original series, the character is kind of a blank slate because there's not a lot of actual character in that show. So like I can appreciate that they are introducing elements that we don't typically see in a Star Trek doctor until you get to Crusher in the new season of Picard where she's suddenly like a, you know... (laughs) 
<laughs> like a uh, Jason Bourne-like agent. But I mean, she's a universal soldier. <laughs> universal soldier. Yeah. Um, although that was the return uh, when we saw her in Picard last time. Um, this decision, it doesn't. I guess I'm just like still kind of curious about like. Is Mabenga just going to be a very heavy character consistently through the rest of this show? Like, are they going to find stories for him where it feels like it's a little more, I don't know, like multidimensional? It just feels like a lot of time when they give this guy stories, they're very dark and serious. And we've seen moments, like remember him in his fishing hat heading off to go like fly fishing? Like that was really charming and fun. That was his uh, secret costume whenever he was trying to get over enemy lines. He just put the fishing hat on. <laughs> Nobody would uh, know it was a human. I mean, it would work. That's a damn good one. Uh, or, yeah. uh, you know, him sitting there with Ortega's talking about like how Spock looks really angry uh, when he's talking to the other Vulcan in the, um, you know, the courtroom episode, episode two of this season. Those are the kind of the Mabenga episodes, or not episodes, but moments that like, I really like like and I would like to see that brought a little to more to the forefront in terms of like an actual character story not just like beats but I am like starting to wonder if like you look into kind of the trauma of this character does this explain perhaps why he's not the chief medical officer when we get to the original series well I, I'm kind of wondering like um like I thought maybe he was going to be sent off to Starfleet rehab or something and, and by that I mean rehabilitation of, of uh, for criminals not not Tom substance abuse or anything like that although he does like that uh that uh juice that he gets uh from doing those secret ops missions but um like i don't know like maybe but it just it seems so weird that he's gonna eventually be demoted yeah uh i mean yeah i mean the protocol 12 stuff are, are they gonna tie that into it i i don't know we have a few years to go until we have to deal with like writing an out for that character in some ways um i don't know like I feel like this season, he's the character I maybe have the toughest grasp on in some ways. So, um, yeah, turning him into, you know, Joseph Maborn, uh, not really working for me. It seems like he's a, he's a doctor. Do no harm. Mm -hmm. We watch him drive a knife into a Klingon skull during the flashback. You know, yeah. he's going doing these secret ops to kill people, you know. Uh, he's justified it to himself. You know, we have to fight so that the people we love have a chance to live. I, this is this is not what a Starfleet doctor does, you know. Uh, and unless you're a, a 75-year-old Beverly Crusher. Um, <laughs> you know, like, it just, like, I, I think it's kind of hacky writing. Like, hmm, what can we do to give this character a hook? Oh yeah, he used to be special ops. And I was like, really? I think it's so lame. I I, I don't think it makes him uh, a more interesting character. I think the, the more challenge. Okay, this seems like a real easy thing. Like, how do we make him more interesting? He's got special skills. It makes me think of like mm. uh, Napoleon Dynamite. You know, it, it's like um, <laughs> like <laughs> Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> I got the uh, uh, nunchuck skills, bow staff skills. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, special skills. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, you know, like, like we we're discussing it, uh, in our last episode, it, it's so much more difficult. It's so much more challenging to create an earnest character who's layered mm -hmm. and genuinely interesting. And, and we're getting that with Pike, you know, and, and this just seems like such hacky writing that like, okay, do you know what we're going to do to make him more interesting? He's a secret ops agent. I'm like, 
Okay. Like to me, it's just it's 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 silly. Um, from what I understand, um, a lot of it's being inspired by the fact that um, the actor uh has a lot of like martial arts training and wanted to showcase this. I was just like, okay. Oh. Yeah. I mean, it's funny that martial arts sequence. It seemed like there was a lot of body doubles going on, considering they kept cropping heads out of shots. So, um, okay then. Uh, that's a little confusing. Um, fair enough. Well, um, I I didn't notice the head crops uh for Mabenga. Uh definitely for Ambassador Ra. Yeah. But I, I thought they were showcasing Mabenga in those in that sequence there. Well the camera was definitely focused on him with a lot of the posing and stuff. Though that makes sense to me. I wonder if there was just like Okay. I mean the blocking gets a little maybe awkward when they're trying to hide an actor and it affects him perhaps as well. Uh, in just the final result, regardless of how much input and how much he is performing these moves. I just felt like it was a little awkwardly directed. Um, well, the other thing is, uh, I'm just curious about, like, at what stage of COVID protocols were they? And, like, maybe they don't want to mm. risk the actors uh, making so much, like, close contact. They'll they'll risk the stunt doubles doing that. I'm, I'm trying to think about, like, when was the likely time that they were... Uh, filming this so season two uh began filming uh before season one premiered and so at that point we're, we're talking I, I think like february of 2022 mm -hmm. and yeah that's when a lot of the covid protocols started to ease up um in toronto but i know that it's still a different story if you're working on a film set you know uh at that mm -hmm. period of time i think things have loosened up i would guess that this was probably uh being filmed uh i don't know like spring of uh 2022 like uh, probably june maybe july even mm -hmm. that, that's my best guess here i remember on the behind the scenes when they were showing um some of the footage when they were filming the first episode of the season there was a lot of masks in all the public scenes so that could very well have yeah i think you may be right like that may have impacted the way they are doing a martial arts scene here yeah so um okay this is this is such an odd duck of an episode like it is and i was gonna say like in terms of like the um kind of as you were talking about like the mabenga is sort of the um you know stone cold killer in some ways of this episode it's interesting in that like i think when they get to the end and they reveal that he is, you know, the uh, butcher of Jagal, I'm supposed to be like, oh my God. And they're showing that footage of him actually being the one to kill those Klingons. Um, it's funny. I had way more of an emotional response to the moment where they had the um, injured Starfleet members in the pattern buffer and he was the one to press the button to purge them. Right. In order to bring in, you know, reinforcements and what have you. That was the moment to me that I go, I understand what broke this man. Yeah. Throwing in all the stuff about going out and killing Klingons, I was like, oh, that just kind of feels like you kind of didn't need it. I am sure they wanted something a little flashier, I guess, to show an audience. But to me, I was like, I understand, like, all of the trauma I have seen in this episode so far. I agree. Like, I think that was uh, something that felt far more emotionally resonant. For me, watching it versus like, I am the butcher of Jagal. Um, <laughs> I am Spartacus. Uh, but like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I did notice though in that <laughs> Klingon butchering scene, um, Klingons all had their hair. 
don't they shave their heads when they go to war cam? Isn't that what Discovery Season 2 explained to us? I'm so glad you brought this up. I, I was like kind of like laughing when the episode first started and they were doing the, you know, previously on Star Trek and they showed like clips of <laughs> the like first episode of Star Trek Discovery, like Takuvma kind of stuff. And I was like, holy crap, they're still milking this stuff. <laughs> this is insane. I'm still waiting for my Takuvma action figure, Cam, that they were... Sh- they- Cam, I uh, listen, <laughs> I am not making this up. Back me up, Cam. Like, uh, Takuvma was going to be along the, the first line of action figures to come out uh, from uh, Kurtzman era Star Trek. That is correct. McFarlane Toys were showing prototypes of the Takuma figure. And also for people who've maybe jumped onto the podcast, you know, in the last year or a couple years, there was a point in time where I was reviewing Takuma comic books on this show as well. Like they really had a push for Takuma coming out of the gate on Star Trek Discovery. But it was like kind of jarring to show that footage from Discovery and then cut to this war here where the Klingons looked a lot closer to uh, you know, kind of those TNG Klingons or, you know, I mean, obviously it's the Klingons very much like the ones we saw in the premiere of this season, but again, much closer to the recognizable Klingons fans know versus the uh, the ones that looked rather odd in uh, season one Discovery. Yeah. They should have had one, right? They should have had one, like, because you had him killing a couple Klingons. Like, why not make one of them look like, you know, Call or something like that from Discovery? Cam, you're still mispronouncing his name. I am, yes. <laughs> it's Cole. I remember having to have many off-mic conversations with you going, it's Cole. It's pronounced Cole. Can I blame that on the Canadian in me? <laughs> no, because we're talking okay. about O's, not A's, I, I, yeah. I'm afraid. Um, I noticed yeah. that you often um, pronounce words kind of like how they're spelt, like very phonetically. Okay. Have you noticed that of yourself? No, I don't really uh, obsess over my own pronunciation that much, I got to say. <laughs> That's why you mispronounce so many words. Mm-hmm. Maybe so. Um, so anyway, um, I don't know. Maybe I'll leave it on, on this slide. Uh, I didn't start the fight, but I'm glad he's dead. I believe him. You know, mm-hmm. I believe uh, Mabenga didn't start the fight. And I believe that uh, he's glad that Raul's dead. But uh, I don't know. I just, uh, this episode doesn't sit easy with me. But I think about last year's uh, Battery Boy episode in which we watched it again and, and we had a very different take upon second viewing. So I wonder if we do get a, a different uh, feel for the episode moving forward. I am much more positive on this episode than I was the Battery Boy one the first time through. The um, Battery Boy episode, I definitely was like, I don't want to watch that episode ever again. Whereas like this one, I walked away more like, I guess measured in my response but it is an episode with like a lot of food for thought that like i'm sure i'm going to be mulling over for the next week or so and i i do wonder like when i go to revisit it knowing how it ends and knowing where we're going how much that affects my journey the way that like when i watched the battery boy episode suddenly i was like oh my god the man playing his father in that episode is doing fantastic work okay uh well Folks, we're going to be gone for a, a little bit of time. We're going to be in Vegas uh, coming up uh, August, what, uh, 5th through, uh, oh no, I'm sorry, August 6th through 9th. So uh, we'll be missing out on uh, Subspace Rhapsody, but uh, we'll be coming back the week after. We'll have uh, reviews of Subspace Rhapsody as well as Hegemony, the final two episodes of season two of 
uh, Strange New Worlds. And we'll also have a recap, a separate kind of episode as well, of the Vegas convention, which, Cam, it's going to be weird. Um, mm-hmm. The actors attending are not allowed to talk about Star Trek. So, um, <laughs> I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I, I'm honestly glad we get this experience at least one of these years. Like, it, it, it's almost like a game. <laughs> Go to a Star Trek convention where you're not allowed to talk about Star Trek and, like, see what unfolds. Um, I'm looking forward to some of these fan panels, I suppose. Um, they're not part of the... Uh, uh, Screen Actors Guild uh, Union. Uh, or I guess that's d- redundant if I'm saying Guild Union, but uh, you know what I mean. Um, mm-hmm. Behind the scenes um, people, um, you know, doing a lot of the production work. I- I'm going to be very fascinated by those folks. So um, I'm sure there's going to be some total disaster panels <laughs> where, I don't know, people will share their gardening tips and, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> hey. Anson Mount's cooking corner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why not? Why not? Um, yeah. Uh, look, it'll be a convention uh, to remember, maybe for good, maybe for bad. But we'll 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 have a bye week. But we'll be coming back, uh, making it all up to you with um, two episodes, uh, all in the same week. That's right. Yeah, and I do think like anyone who tunes in for the um, Star Trek Vegas wrap up episode, if you can't attend the convention yourself. Um, you're going to get stories out of this one. You'll never get at any convention ever again. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be at the very least, I think, interesting to hear uh, of the random anecdotes that are going to make up, I'm sure, what is a very random convention. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I think on that note, uh, our assignment is complete. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, we want to hear from you. Jump on over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash subspacepod. Let us know your thoughts on this episode. Where do you stand on the Mabenga character journey? And of course, you can also find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam. V is in very awkward dinner. Smith. Uh, you can find me at Reportin'. That's R. R is in replicators on the 1701 in this area uh why is kirk making people eat green cubes when he takes command um <laughs> e p o r t o n and uh shout out to clint howard once again on star trek okay so until next time the arena is closed we must let them fight <laughs> 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 <laughs>